Amen. Amen. Well, welcome to Cross Point Church. We're so glad you're here with us this morning. And uh, before we dive into the message, I want us to honor our high school seniors. So if you're a high school senior, can you please stand? And we're going to let you do something a little embarrassing. We're going to ask you to come and stand right in the front so our whole faith family can see you, all right? So if you're a senior, go ahead and stand on up. Yeah, faith family, we can give them a round of applause. Yeah. Come on up here. Callie and myself, we love leading the students here at Cross Point Church, and, and uh, we actually get to lead them for a whole nother year. We won't be going up to Boston until next May, so we're super excited about that. But student ministry is an amazing time uh, in the teenager's life. And our desire as a church and a student ministry is to come beside every family to help be some scaffolding. Because raising, raising a teenager is hard. It's not can be hard, it is hard. Amen, parents with teenagers? <laughs> It is hard, and we want to be, yeah, one was like, praise Jesus, yes, all right. It is hard, and we want to be that scaffolding. And so if, if you're a parent here and your, your teenager's not involved in our student ministry, we have some amazing resources out there in the lobby today. We would, I would love to meet you and help you uh, get plugged in, uh, and that's for rising sixth graders on up. But today we're here to honor our seniors, and I've seen this group, and we have about 15 that are graduating in both services, and uh, I've seen them step up and be leaders, not just in their schools, but in their church, because they believe the church isn't just a place you attend, it's somewhere where you belong. And I love that about these seniors. But seniors, I want to challenge you real quick. Y'all look at me this way real quick. I want to challenge you to not waste the next four years. I know many of you are going to college or, or, or getting a job or doing something like that, but I want to challenge you not to waste the next four years because the world wants to tell you just to have fun at college, to waste it on worldly pleasures. But ultimately, that will lead to four years of regret. Amen, yeah. I want to challenge you to use the next four years for his kingdom and his glory. And I know God's gonna do amazing things in your lives the next four years. And so what I want us to do as a church is just to pray over you guys. So faith family, I'm gonna pray over them and I would love for you to pray with me over these seniors. God, we're so thankful for your grace and your mercy. God, we're so thankful that you sent Jesus to save us, to redeem us, to restore us back to yourself. And Father, I lift up this group of seniors to you right now. God, that you would protect them. God, that you would protect them from the evil one. You would protect them from the things of this world that want to distract them. God, that you would give them the hunger to follow after you. God, may their eyes be fixed on you and you alone. Father, I lift them up as they go off to college, pursue jobs, and whatever you're doing in their life, God, I pray that they would do it all not for their fame or for their name, but all for your glory. God, I ask that you would give them a supernatural boldness that can only come from your Holy Spirit. Whether they're in class or on the job, they live for you. So God, we just ask that you would bless them. We ask that you bless their families that have raised them up and just like we heard last week in Psalm 127, there are arrows to be sent out for your glory. God, we thank you for Jesus. In your holy name I pray, amen. 
Faith family, can we honor these seniors one more time? Awesome, guys. Y'all can go ahead and have a seat. Very cool. Well, we're going to continue and actually finish up our series of Welcome Home this morning. And Welcome Home is a series where we've been looking at uh, what does it mean to be a faith family. And not only what it means to be a faith family, but we've been also looking in and what does it mean to be a family in your own personal life that follows Jesus. We looked at being a child of God. We've looked at parents. We looked at marriage. And so today we're going to look at what does it mean when a family believes together. Another way to put that is what does it look like when a family lives for Jesus? Another way you could probably phrase that is what does it look like when a family lives on mission where they don't live for themselves but they live for Jesus and so that's what we're going to dive into this morning so if you have God's word turn to Acts chapter 16 we're going to be looking at verses 31 through 34 but before we really dive into this passage of Acts 16 I need to kind of set the stage for us this morning what is happening is Paul and Silas are in Philippi and they're preaching and proclaiming the name of Jesus And we see at the beginning of chapter 16, Lydia, who is a businesswoman, comes to know Jesus with her and her whole household. And as they're preaching, a slave, a demonic slave girl who's who's been tortured by a demon, comes to know Jesus. And because of that, it causes this uproar in the town, and actually Paul and Silas are put into prison. And as they're in prison, a huge earthquake, earthquake shakes the ground, their chains are broken, all right? If they were me, if an earthquake just broke off my chains, I'm in prison, I'm getting the heck out of there, right? I'm like, Jesus, thank you. This is our time. Run for the doors. But they didn't run. They stayed. The jailer runs in. He's about to kill himself because he realizes that he's lost all the prisoners. And then Paul speaks up and says, don't do that. We're all here. And at that moment, this man is forever changed. Let's pick up the story. Acts 16, 31 through 34, it says, And they said, that's Paul and Silas, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. You and your household. Verse 32, And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he, that's the jailer, took them, that's Paul and Silas, the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and he was baptized at once he and all his family then he brought them into the house and set food before them and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God so there's this amazing transformation that's happening here in Acts chapter 16 with this jailer who comes to know Jesus. But not only that he comes to know Jesus, he wants his whole family to know who Jesus is. And God takes an ordinary family and totally transforms their life. To going from a family that doesn't know and follow Jesus to a family that is now on mission. So faith family, I wanna give you three truths for a family that is on mission, a family that lives for Jesus is gonna have these three things a part of their life. And the first one is this. Families on mission bring the word home. Families on mission bring the word home. That's what we see in verse 31 and 32. And they spoke of the word of the Lord to him and to all that were in his house. 
The word in our own hearts leads to the word in our home. Personal heart change will always come before family life change. So parents, if you want your household to change, it starts with you. If you want your children to change, you want, you want to help shape the way they're going. It doesn't start with modifying their behavior. It starts with your own heart. And what I love about this whole interaction and all of Acts 16 is how Jesus changes the heart. Jesus is the word of God made flesh. And we see this jailer. What do we know about him? He was probably an ex-Roman soldier. And so this was a man that had seen and done a lot. What we know about Rome is that they came with military force. They didn't play. This wasn't a guy that loved rainbows and skipped in the field. All right, this guy was, he was hardcore. He probably done some things we can't even think of doing. Even in this same passage, we already know that he has put Paul and Silas in the innermost prison and he has tortured them. So how in the world does this military man that's so hard, angry, probably bitter, go from that to taking Jesus to his home? It's because Jesus changed his heart. So faith family, if you're here this morning, hear this truth. There's nothing you could ever do to stop God from pursuing your heart. Ladies, you feel like if God really knew what I've done, if he's known the places I've been, there's no way he can love me. Look at Acts 16. Men, you say, I've done too much. My past is too great. There's no way I can follow after Jesus. Look at Acts 16. Jesus is the only name that in which we are saved. He takes the heart of stone and makes a heart of flesh. He takes the blind and gives sight. He takes the dead and gives life. It is in Jesus and his name alone. He is the word of God and it starts with our own hearts. I've seen this personally in my own family's life growing up. I love my father. He was a great father to me. But early on, he was a very angry man. He was a man that was bitter. He was a man that hated God, to be honest. And he wanted nothing to do with Jesus or church. But I'll never forget the night that God totally changed my father's life. Because my father, he numbed himself with drugs and alcohol. That's how he dealt with pain. In the midst of a very tragic situation that he was going through, Jesus met him in the middle of his pain. And he said, David, that's his name, he said, David, you're not called to numb yourself. You're called to freedom in my name. And I'll never forget what happened. I remember him coming home and him telling my mother. And our whole family's life started to change. It was going down this one road, but then because of my father's faith and what he did and his belief in Jesus, it started to change. Two months later, I came to know Jesus. A year later, my sister came to know Jesus. And now our whole family, praise God, is following after Jesus. And it started with my father. So what I want to do 
real quick is challenge the men. If you're a man in here, whether you have a family or not, take Jesus home. Jesus isn't just something we talk about on Sunday. It should spill over in every day of our week. Men, you should be the same man on Friday night as you are on Sunday morning. Men, you should be the same man that loves Jesus and follows Jesus Wednesday when no one's watching as you are on Sunday morning when your kids are watching. For the single guys out there, you're called to follow Jesus just as much on Sunday morning as you are when you're at home all by yourself. Take Jesus home because when he changes our hearts, it spills over into our lives. Barna did some research on this, on the dad's influence on family life change. It said this, when a mother trusts in Christ apart from her husband, her family follows 17% of the time. So that's when a, a, a wife comes to know Jesus, the husband doesn't know Jesus, the family follows pursuit and follows after Jesus about 17% of the time. But when a dad becomes a Christian, the rest of the family follows 93% of the time. That's amazing. So men, the challenge is for you to be men and to lead. But that leading starts with your own heart. That your children see you loving God's word, just not on Sunday morning, but at 6 a.m. before they go to school. It starts with our own hearts. And my prayer for every man in here isn't to condemn you, but to challenge you, to encourage you that you would become an oak of righteousness that we see in Scripture, that your whole family can lean on and you could be their support. You can be the shade and shelter for your family because you are rooted in the Word of God. The Word of God is your foundation. Ladies, I want to offer you a challenge because I know... There are many ladies that are in here or maybe single moms or single parents or maybe you're just a single lady in the house. I want to challenge you to fix your eyes on Jesus. And if you have children, fix your eyes on Jesus. Care more about what your children's walk with Jesus is over their GPA. Moms, care more about your children's spiritual walk with Jesus more than their friend group, more than what club they're a part of at school. May their walk with Jesus be more important than those things. And moms, lead. Ladies, lead by example. Lead in showing grace. Lead in pursuing Jesus and loving Jesus more than anything else in your life. Because if you have children, they're watching. Your children are watching to see what you say on Sunday matters matches up with what you do on Friday matters. Because what we do on Sunday should spill over into Monday and the rest of the week. And when Jesus changes our hearts, that's the beauty of this passage. No matter where you've been, Jesus can change you for his glory and his renown. So no matter where you're at, run to Jesus this morning. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And when you do that, then the foundation of your home changes. It's not built on you. It's not built on your past. It's not built on your circumstances. It's now built on the solid rock, which is Jesus Christ. The foundation of your home changes when your heart changes.
And I want to give you, parents, just three quick things that will help with that foundation of your home, bringing the word home. The first thing is this. Look at your time. Look at your time. So no matter if you have children, you are a parent, or you're single, I want you to look at your time. How do you use your time? And I want to challenge and encourage everyone here to set everyday rhythms for the gospel to take root in your own heart and your family's heart. This means looking at how you do dinner time. Do you spend dinner eating out every night? Or are you at home at the table talking? Are you constantly seeing what's on Netflix instead of talking to each other? We love to connect into technology to disconnect from each other. One of my favorite things to do is when I pick up the kids from their school is to listen to music. We like, I like to take the top down in my Jeep, we turn on some music, and it's a fun time. Don't tell my wife, typically we go to get some peach ice cream or Dairy Queen. Just, this is our kind of, it's not a daily habit, but it's, it's pretty regular. We'll just say that. And that's something we love to do. I love to do with my, my kids, and I always ask, so what do you want to listen to? And, then, and last week, I remember my four-year-old telling me, Daddy, this is what I want to listen to, and she was naming off some different songs, and all of a sudden, my two-year-old son screams, Shut up! I almost came to a complete stop. I'm like, what did you say? Because he knows not to say it. And then he has this biggest grin on his face. And he says, Daddy, shut up and dance with me. And then he goes, nah, nah, nah. And I'm like, what? If you don't know, that's a modern song. That's a song that some of the students listen to. And I was just like, are you kidding me? That's the song that my two-year-old wants to hear? And I, honestly, at that moment, I didn't know if I should laugh, be concerned, keep driving. I didn't know what to do. And when I got home, honestly, I was talking with my wife, and I got convicted. Because even though it's a fun song and it's fun to dance to and listen to, my heart's desire is when I ask my children, what do you want to listen to? They say, Jesus. I want to listen and praise the name of Jesus. I want to lift his name high and so for us it took I had to look at our time how do we spend our time as a family because we can fill our time as a family with so many things so many good things like sports entertainment recreation and we can fill it with so many things some good things but are we filling it with the great are we filling it with the great I am who is Jesus? So families, look at your time. How are you spending your time with your children? Next one is moments. Take advantage of everyday moments that pop up to teach and train your children to love and follow Jesus. These are moments that aren't planned. These are moments that it happens. You're like, how in the world we're gonna deal with this? When your teenage daughter comes home and in tears because she didn't get to make the cheerleading squad, how do you respond in that moment? Do you react, man, that, that coach doesn't know what they're doing. It's all politics. It's this, that, and that. It's not the child's fault because they're not good at cheerleading, but it's everyone else's fault. Or do you help speak into their hurt and their pain and help them to understand that Jesus is greater than their hurt and the pain, that Jesus is greater than whatever trial they're going through, and that he is the one that we run to? Parents, use those moments that pop up. When a tragedy happens at school and a student takes their life, 
use that as an opportunity not just to disengage or to gloss over, but to tell your teenager the beauty of life and why Jesus came to die and to save them. Because parents, we are called to disciple our children, not distract them. Listen to me, parents. We're called to disciple our children and not distract them. Parenting is hard. I know I have a four and a two-year-old, and it's almost easier just to be like, just get distracted and then pass out and fall asleep, and I can put you to bed, and I can do what I want to do. But my role as a father isn't just to distract them with activities. It's to disciple them and point them every day to Jesus. And it starts with my own heart. So taking, looking at our time, looking at moments, and lastly, looking at milestones. That's celebrating the amazing things that God does in your life every day. Not just every day, but special things that happen over your life. When your child comes to know Jesus, you remember that day. You celebrate that day. How amazing would it be you celebrate that day more than their own birthday? Because that was the day they trusted in Jesus. That was the day they went from death to life. You celebrate them getting baptized and publicly professing that Jesus is Lord. You celebrate the day they graduate high school. And you pray like crazy (laughs) for them. But celebrating milestones, those are the stones of remembrance for your own family to put onto your mantle and say, remember how God was faithful. Remember what God did in your life. Remembering them and celebrating them. So those are just a couple things, times, moments, and milestones, and that will help you lay the foundation of God's word for your family. Because families on mission bring the word home. The second thing they do is families on mission bring the hurting in. Families on mission bring the hurting in. Look at verse 33 and 34. It says, and he took them. This is the jailer who now knows Jesus. He's bringing the word home. Now let's see what happens. And he took them, Paul and Silas, at the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. Taking care of the hurting reflects how we've been loved. Faith family, we are all hurting because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us has a hurt. And the beautiful thing about the gospel is that God doesn't leave us in our hurt. He steps into our hurt and he took on our sin. He took on our past. He took on our shame on the cross. And when he said it is finished, he swallowed every last drop of it for you and for me. That's the beauty of how our God stepped into our hurt. And we're called to reflect that, to do the same thing for others. Because every one of us knows someone that's hurting. The reality is, in this room today, there are people that are hurting. There are people that are praying, God, I don't even know how we're going to get our next meal. There are marriages that are sitting in this room that they're deciding whether to keep going or not. People are hurting all around us. There are students that come in and sit in these seats and they go home when no one's looking and they cut their wrists because all they're longing to do is feel something. There are hundreds of children in our own county 
They're just longing for a mom and dad to love them. There is hurting all around us, and we're called to bring the hurting in because that's what our God has done for us. And yes, bringing the hurting in is messy. It is messy. We see that he took, Paul, the jailer took care of Paul and Silas. He took care of the wounds. There can be blood. It's going to be messy. People's past and the, who they are, their shame, it can be messy. And it's going to take your time. It took time to clean the wound properly. But we see when you do that, when you enter into the mess, when you enter into the hurt, it can lead to other people's healing. You can be a part of someone else's life change. So may we never stop bringing in the hurting in our own church and into our own homes because it's messy and inconvenient. Because our Savior didn't see us as too messy or too inconvenient. Because when we take care of the hurting, it reflects how he loves us, but it also reflects his generosity. Not only did the jailer take care of the wounds of Paul and Silas, he actually fed them. He gave of his time, talents, and treasures to them to help them. God is calling us to be generous people, to give of our time, to give of our talents, how God has gifted us, and to give of our treasures. I truly believe the reason God gives us things is to be a blessing to other people. We are we're called to be generous people. And faith family, when we choose to be generous, I believe God will do something in our own lives we could have never imagined. Many of you know that Callie and myself do foster care. And we've been doing foster care for about three to four years now. But it wasn't something that we said, yeah, we just want to speak into the herd. I wish I could be really spiritual. Like, Man, we've always wanted to do that. But we didn't. We knew we always wanted to adopt one day. That's something that was always on our hearts that we always wanted to adopt. That's something we always wanted to do. And for some reason, God hasn't allowed us to have our own biological children yet. But I'll never forget the day about four years ago when a college student came to us after the point one Thursday night. And with tears in her eyes, she looked at both of us and she said, I wish I would have had parents like you. Because she bounced around from home to home to home, in and out of her own parents' home to other people's home. She just had no family. And those words still echo in my mind almost daily. I wish I would have had a family like you. I remember that day, me and Callie said, we're going to step into that. We haven't thought about foster care before this, and so we started praying. We knew God, that's what God was calling us to do. And yes, it can be painful. It can be messy. It's not perfect, but you can step into the pain of children. Now, I'll tell you today, we wouldn't change it for the world. No matter what happens with our two precious children that we love so dearly, we wouldn't change it for the world. And Crosspoint, I just wanted to pause for a moment and to say thank you. There's not a day that goes by that people do not come to me and Callie and tell us that they're praying for us. So I just want to publicly say thank you for praying for us, entering into the pain with us, entering into that struggle with us. It's a glorious and good struggle. But thank you. And I want to challenge you and encourage you to enter into other people's pain because it's worth it because it can lead healing to other people. 
Families on mission bring the hurting in. Lastly, families on mission bring the glory to God. Families on mission bring the glory to God. That's what we see at the end of verse 34. And he rejoiced. He praised God. He gave glory to God along with not just himself but his entire household that he had believed in God. When our hearts are changed, that leads to our families being changed. That leads to other lives being changed. Not for to say, hey, look at what we've done. It's all to be a reflection and to point back to and this is all for the glory, honor, praise of King Jesus. I love what Timothy Keller says about this. He says, religious people find God useful. Christians find God beautiful. Hear me out, church. Religious people find God useful, meaning they just look, God, what can you give me? What can you give me and make my life better? And yes, God gives, and he does make life better. There's so much hope, joy, and found in Jesus. But true Christians that believe not only see God as useful, but they see God as beautiful. And you want to live the rest of your life bringing glory, honor, and praise to our creator. The glory of God is our fuel. And that leads to the glory of God as our reward. Faith family, when we live our lives for the glory of God, that is our reward meaning we're living our life exactly how God intended us to live it. We have a life of purpose. We have a life of meaning. We have a life that's filled with the joy of Jesus. That is our reward. Here, now, but also forevermore. Because one day, every knee will bow. One day, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, and he's going to receive all glory and praise and honor from every day when we're in heaven. So may we be about that now, in the here and now. The glory of God is our fuel, and the glory of God is our reward. I want to close by sharing you a story of a missionary named Karen Watson. She was a young woman that grew up in the United States. And when she was in college, God radically changed her life and gave her a heartbeat for the nations. And in her mid-30s, she was able to go to Iraq to be a missionary. And when she was 38 years old, it was in 2004, the car she was driving in got stopped. They actually got ambushed. And they found out that she was a Christian they tortured her and killed her on the spot. And without Jesus, that is a tragedy. But Karen knew exactly what she was getting into. Because a year before, almost an exact year, year before that tragedy did happen, she wrote a letter to her church. I just want to read a portion of that letter to you. She said this, When God calls... There are no regrets. 
I tried to share with you as much as possible my heart for the nations. I wasn't called to a place. I was called to him. To obey was my objective. To suffer was expected. In his glory, my reward. His glory, my reward. What allows a young woman to proclaim that? It's because her heart was changed by the word of God. It was the foundation of her home. It was the foundation of her life. She was willing to step in to the hurt of others. And she realized that this life isn't about her anyway. It's all about Jesus. And his glory was her reward.